Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. He's a good God. He's a good God. Amen. Just try and get us ready for the word. How many of y'all ready for the word today? How many of y'all ready for the word today? The more and more um, we, we develop as a church, two things I'm becoming, three things I'm becoming more convinced of. Number one, you can be seated. Number one is prayer. Um, how much we um, underestimate the power of prayer. Number two, um, we underestimate the power of biblical literacy. And number three, I'm going to be honest with you, we underestimate real disciples. Um, And one of the things that um, I get a chance to see as as a pastor, one of the things you can get um, just in the pastor world, you know, numbers you can get up on numbers and how many services you're doing and how many all of that man as i look at the scriptures the bible says and the number of the disciples were increasing and um somebody get that on the way home um and and in this season I, I'm, I'm i'm seeing myself took a few weeks off but seeing seeing us just zoom lensing in on the importance of who is functionally a disciple of jesus christ and ferociously committed to him. And I get, to, and I get the opportunity to, um, to bring up someone today. He, he sort of needs no introduction. He's kind of been incognito at the church for a bit. But um, he, has a, he has a call on his life, and, and um, he's been with us since the beginning. He and his wife, Betty. Uh, Brother Mac, he's going to get ready to share the word with us today. But... Just a few things. He doesn't like this kind of stuff, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, he's a graduate of Liberty University. Um, last year, he got a, a master's degree from Drexel University. Amen. So he's a degreed up man. But also, some of y'all don't know, I may make him pull out the archives. Y'all don't know he's, he's a Christian hip-hop super producer, too. And, um, and he also was in the group um, Everyday Process. You know, y'all don't, y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. But if you go on iTunes, I want you to pull up, give him the gospel. He produced that joint. But anyway, more than that, he loves his wife, he loves his family, and he loves this church, and he's been leading Life Group for years. Let's welcome to the stage our brother, Mac Lawhorn. One, two, two. Too much pulling out tapes, old tapes. We don't do tapes, or I should say recordings. We don't even do CDs no more. Pulling out old MP3 files or something like that. Um, I said in the uh, first gathering that um, it's uh, getting up here. I feel like um, you know when you go to a, an amusement park at Six Flags or something like that, and uh, you get in line for a ride, and 
and you get to the front of the line, and then you feel like, wait, this, this ride is not what I thought it was going to be, but it's too many people behind you, and they won't even let you get out the line. And, then <laughs> and you're like, what I done got myself into? Um, I feel like that a little bit, like, what is I'm doing up here? But um, <laughs> I'm just being real. This happened. <laughs> but but um, uh, I, I said also too in an earlier gathering that uh, you, you know when you when you come up here, you know you got you know so many equipped and gifted people who are up here, and blessed by God and gifted by God. And so there's that natural feeling of inadequacy if you come up behind these type of people. But um, I thank God for the inadequacy because during the time that I was preparing for the message, um, it helps me not to rely on myself or any type of, any little bit of eloquence that I, that I would have, I can't even depend on that because it takes the power of God, it takes the wisdom of God to be able to penetrate hearts and open ears and open eyes. So let's pray and then we'll dive in and, uh, and see what the Lord has to say to us for today. Father, we thank you. For this time, for this uh, gathering, um, and not in a routine way, we really truly do thank you. And we thank you that we're able to gather. There's people gathering in other countries under persecution just for doing this right now. But you bless us with um, the ability to be able to come even down to our preference sometimes and come and hear what you say. Lord, would you touch the hearts, uh, the ears, the minds, of people listening today in this room and outside of this room. Um, be with me, give me clarity of speech, clarity of thought, but also decrease me, God, and increase yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. So as is our tradition, please stand, we're gonna read, and we're gonna dive in. 2 Corinthians 2, Verses 14 through 16. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. 1, 2, 3, read. All right, so uh, if I have to give a sermon title, the sermon title is going to be a question. It's going to be, what's that smell? What's that smell? All right, go ahead, have a seat. Let's dive in. Just for scriptural overview and context, the Corinthian church, this young, young church at Corinth is, is um, I guess, for lack of a better term, you can say a hot mess. Paul has a loving yet challenging relationship with this church. After establishing the church, you can read about that in Acts 18, and later learning of ungodliness and moral corruption in the church, there's beef and there's a contentious back and forth and even a visit between Paul and those that are at this church. They're questioning everything about Paul. They question his apostleship. They question whether he has gospel authority. They don't like him. Some don't. They don't think he's eloquent enough. They would rather another preacher, right? But Paul 
He's, he's committed. He dives in. His love is undying. He's echoing or pretty much modeling what Jesus does for us. But there's a bunch of confusion and questions with his church. There's unrepentance even and problems surrounding several matters. I mean, Paul addresses many things in his letters to the Corinthian church. He addresses sexual immorality, celibacy, marriage, divorce questions, divorce issues, the Lord's Supper, even practices of worship, sexual immorality. One dude was even sleeping with his stepmom and refused to stop. He even has to address that. Abuse of Christian liberties, lawsuits, divisions, tongues, it goes on and on. Paul has a litany of things that he's addressing with this church. So Paul, in response to some of the previous pushback he received, he defends his integrity. He defends his ministry in these letters. And it's with that context that we dive into this. So we understand the, the pressure that, that is on Paul. He is love this church, love this group of believers, but he's getting all this pushback. And it's in the midst of that that we dive in. So by way of illustration, I want to kind of introduce some of the, at least one of the themes of the text. And, and we're going to talk about an aroma considering what's that smell. So I love this particular show um, that's still on heavy rerun today. Uh, called Martin. So if you ever watch Martin, you right, you may feel me, right? I love Insane Martin Payne, right? And so the funny thing about Martin is he's always uber ridiculous. Everything he does is just over the top. Any reaction for whatever's happening in the episode, he's going to have this ridiculous overreaction to it. And a funny thing about Martin also is that he got a couple of loves, a couple of true affinities, and they are, one, his lady Gina, Right? You can't talk about Gina. You can't touch Gina. He can talk about her forehead, but you can't say nothing to her. And the other thing that he loves is his mama biscuits. <laughs> this man can smell his mama biscuits. He can smell the aroma from a mile away. And there was an episode in which there was this, this Thanksgiving cook-off battle. And so he immediately, even though him and his team were cheating too, they were buying the food instead of cooking it. He calls Gina and Pam out on their dastardly deeds of being able to fake the funk. And what he was doing is saying, you didn't really cook this. I smell something foul going on. I smell the aroma of my mama biscuits. And it goes to show how important and how vital and how massive this sense that God gave us of smell is. If you've ever been in a situation where you or someone around you catches a whiff of something, whether pleasant or not, and after a few sniffs in the air, they ask, what's that smell, right? It'll happen to us, right? It doesn't sometimes stop you in mid-speech, right? If you're talking to somebody and something passes or you pass something, and whether it's good or bad, right, you say, what? It'll, it'll stop you mid-thought. You may even forget your train of thought. And you say, what's that smell? That's because the God-given sense of smell is powerful. This sense of smell, it's amazing. It, it often remains downloaded in our brains until something triggers it, and at that time, all of those memories will come back up. You know, you'll, you'll have it, you'll, you'll be uh, um, around somebody, and you'll smell a fragrance or a cologne, and it'll remind you of someone, maybe a loved one that is long passed away. And, they, and, and immediately, you're reminded of a moment with that person. Yeah. All right? Well, for me... And my wife surprised me. I got family here, so I mean, <laughs> this is not related to any of them, but um, shout out to my family that came and surprised me. But this is not related to them. This is some other family. But back in the day when I was a kid, <laughs> back in the day when I was a kid, I used to hate 
when my mom would take me over this certain family member's house and sit and talk because the house always smelled like mothballs. And so to this day, when I have, when I, if I smell a mothball or anything resembling that smell, I'm immediately, I'm, I'm taken back to that time and I can envision my mom saying, boy, stop complaining, sit down, be quiet. I'll leave when we're ready to leave. And I have to sit and endure that smell. Used to hate it. Used to hate it. Or if you're like me, um, a smell will trigger you. Like as soon as I smell Chick-fil-A, I lose all self-control. I want to eat it every day, every night. I always want to eat Chick-fil-A. But this notion of aroma, which is mentioned in these verses, is very powerful, as we'll see. But we can start addressing the aroma in a moment. First, I want to touch on the A part of verse 14. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal uh, procession. So for, I have three points for you today, and point number one is victory has never smelled so sweet. Victory has never smelled so sweet. The verse says God always, as in never not, always means always, leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. God is undefeated and has no L's. Right? It reminds me of Lonzo Ball's dad, LeVar Ball, who's probably popular than his own son. He said in an interview one time, he said, never lost. He never lost. And playing one-on-one, he, he has never taken an L, which I don't believe is true. But the point is, he said he's never lost. This is the reality when it comes to God. He is undefeated, like a boxer whose, flaw, whose flawless record is being touted by the ring announcer. If you've ever watched boxing, you know how it goes. You watch a main event, and they say, in this corner... Such and such. Well, I can imagine with my signified imagination, if we were imagining the uh, Christ and all of his triumphs, we would say in this corner with the blood soaked trunks, you know, weighing in at at a poundage that you can't really measure because his glory is too weighty. Right. With a record of a million or countless wins and zero losses, never lost. We have. Yeshua HaMashiach, right? And then in the other corner, it really doesn't matter who the opponent is because they're going to take an L anyway. But his plans and his will are never thwarted. He will always be victorious because though he has enemies and opponents, he actually has no rivals. There's no one that is comparable to Christ. So when we're talking about Christ's triumph, or even if you're talking about the enemy, our adversary and his minions, right? God is not in a rival battle. Right. God will defeat all of his foes. What he has as his opponents, but he has no rivals. There is no comparison. He's not wondering what punch should I throw next? How do I deflect or block the enemy? Right. God is in control and he has no real rivals. Thus, any opposition to God is really it's just an exercise in futility. Right. You're never going to win against the 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 never lost champion, Yeshua. So sometimes also in my sanctified mind, I can imagine uh, Christ always winning, much like uh, if you remember uh, back in the day, well, not that far back in the day, Oprah, when she had her famous show that's now legendary, where she gave out she gave out all the cars to everybody in the audience, right? Right? You get a car. You get a car. You get a car. You get a car. Everybody gets a car. Any opponent that faces Christ will get L's in the same matter, right? Right? You get an L if you if you oppose him. Right? Harold, you two, you get an L. Every, you get an L. You get an L. Anytime anyone, including ourselves, opposes the most high, a loss is coming. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians verse 15, 54 through 56, 
kind of brings this home. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. And this is from Isaiah and Hosea. Says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? You can almost see the trash talking that comes from God in this, right? He's literally jabbing at death saying, what you gonna do? Where is your sting? Where is your victory? That's because God doesn't lose, right? So, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So even death takes an L to this two-piece and a biscuit combo that, that Jesus is going to deliver to death or has to deliver, deliver to death when he submitted to crucifixion, death, and then resurrected with all power, right? And then finally, I think by illustration, we have this uh, image of this, this triumph um, that Paul relates to in uh, verses 14 to 16. He says, um, well, actually, this is just uh, a little piece I wrote about it, but Paul utilizes an analogy pertaining to Christ's modus operandi of winning. He compares the always victorious Christ to a Roman triumph. So if you don't know what a Roman, a Roman triumph is, I'll explain a little bit about it. Um, I used to confuse the term triumph with just a victory or winning. But actually, the terminology is different coming from Roman culture, which Paul would be familiar with. He utilizes the same analogy also in Colossians 2. But traditionally, the Roman triumph was not all that common. It was reserved for special types of victories. The Senate would honor a general or the highest ranking commander, not just any military leader, who was victorious in a major war. So historically, the triumph was a civil ceremony. It was also combined with a religious event. A triumphal procession publicly celebrated the Roman commander's success in leading his troops to victory. At its core, it was an enormous parade through the heart of Rome, designed to display the glory of the Roman Empire and then also give sacrifices to the gods, especially their god Jupiter, to thank him for giving Rome the victory. But this event would not be missed by anyone. It was a spectacle. If it happened today, it would be the parade that everybody would want to go to. The procession featured a victorious soldier, victorious soldiers who fought and survived and returned with the commander. It also featured spoils of war plundered from the enemy. And captives from the opposition would be included in the parade. They would be mocked and dragged through the streets as saying pretty much, look at what we've conquered. Look at our plunder. Look at our spoils. Power be to Rome. Right? Also, Priests with incense would be following through in the parade. So smells would fill the streets and fill the air. And so if you're on the Roman side, these smells, uh, they, they, they are great to you, right? They smell like victory because Rome has just won. But what does it smell like to those who are the captives, right? It smells like death because what's going to happen at the end of this procession, they're going to be put to death anyway. They're going to be offered to the gods as a sacrifice if they're not held in slavery. So there's two real interpretations of this verse, and Christians have, have kind of gone back and forth about this for some time, but one interpretation is that Christ leads us in his triumphal procession as we are his soldiers and victorious with him in battle. That's one. We, Christ has, has secured victory. We are with Christ, so we are victorious as well, which is a great understanding. But also, there's another understanding which reads as Christ leads us as his captives in the triumphal procession, actually being considered the spoils of war that he won for himself. 
The notion here is that he has conquered sin and death in a battle and then won us, taken us as the spoils of the war that he waged. The notion here is that he has conquered sin and death. Thus, we are being paraded through the streets on the way to our death. But for a Christian, we die to ourselves and brought to new life in Christ. This is Paul's, this is Paul's understanding often throughout the scriptures. 1 Corinthians uh, 4.9 says, or it has kind of like a similar theme, For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. But in either uh, explanation, in either interpretation, even in either translation, Christ is still victorious, right? He is still the one who the procession is about. The procession is his. It does not belong to us. All right. Let's look at the second part of the verse. Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. So my next point for you is going to be Christians. We are infused to diffuse. We are infused to diffuse to, to, to diffuse. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the terms, I'll break it down for you a little bit. Right. So a couple of does anybody know what a diffuser is? Right. So. I did not know until recently. I was ignorant of the fact, right? So I'm a, I'm a candle incense type of guy. Went into a store, ended up being talked into one of these things and came out with one. Still got it in the crib today. Love the thing, right? I was unaware that you could just put the proper amount or the ratio of water and oil in these things and they will give off this amazing aroma, right? And so now, today I'm looking back, why did I ever mess with candles in the first place? Right. I put the right amount of of oil for whatever fragrance I prefer in this thing. And my house is smelling like uh, it's just amazing. It's on 10 all the time. But I try to set it up for life group. I don't know. But sometimes I got kids. So little smells kind of kind of overwhelm some things. But for a diffuser, you can put anything in there. Jasmine, lavender, lemon, rosemary, frankincense, myrrh. And you get the appropriate aroma out from what you put in. Just like a diffuser, we as Christians are to spread the fragrance of Christ and the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere, but we can't spread what we do not have. To function properly, a diffuser requires the appropriate amount of water, the appropriate amount of oil from whatever aroma that you prefer, and you must put it in first. When it is heated, the fragrance is released. See, to infuse means to fill or pervade to instill or even to soak, maybe even to permeate. And to diffuse means to spread, to give out. It often means to cause to spread over a wide area or among a large number of people. So diffusion is not possible without something first being infused. There is no pouring out without filling up. There is no meaningful output without input. Christians will be hard-pressed to give off the fragrance of Christ without first soaking in Christ without first being inundated by Christ, without first being inspired by Christ, without first being permeated by the things of Christ. We cannot give out what we do not have. For my diffuser to work in the manner I desire, I get and to give off a beautiful aroma, I must fill it with the appropriate amount of water and oil. If I do not, I will get smoke. It'll look like it's doing something, but I'll smell nothing. So we have to be careful as Christians to appear as though we are following routines and doing things. And if I turn the diffuser on, it will heat up. Smoke will rise from the top, but you'll smell nothing. 
right? I need the appropriate ingredients inside, otherwise I'm just blowing hot air. Y'all know how it works, you know, we, we can give off the aroma of whatever we are around, right? right? If you don't smoke, and, and you're riding around in a car with someone who smokes, right? You smell the smoke, um, and then eventually, uh, it'll, it'll start to become more and more, you know, you'll become more and more desensitized to it. You'll still smell it, but it's not as bad. 30 minutes later, you get out the car, you go to your people's house, and they're like, what, what you smoke now? <laughs> no, nah, I don't smoke. Oh, my people's gave me a ride. It's in my clothes. It's in your hair. It's, it's in the things that you have with you. And so it's the same. We have to be careful as Christians, and I'm the last one to push legalism on anybody, right? You, sh you know, as a mature Christian, we should know um, how we should uh, uh, be managing our, our, our liberties. However, right, what we spend time around, we will start to smell like, right? And so if you've spent time around Christ and around the people of God, eventually it will rub off, right? When we're spending, around, spending time around things that are ungodly, we will often become desensitized to it, and it will show. Now, the funny thing about being in a car with someone who smokes as well is that, you know, you, they smoke, you don't smoke. So now the next person you get to smells the effects of not you, but the person who gave it to you, right? Just the same as a believer, right? It trickles out. Like when we're making disciples and when we're a, a sweet aroma to the society that we're in, right, sometimes it's not even the person that has direct contact with us. Sometimes we're discipling somebody and then they get an aroma and then they go disciple somebody. And then so there's this trickle-down effect that sometimes has started with you or whoever spread the aroma onto you. So it's important for us to treat fragrance in this manner and understand how aroma works. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are the aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things or who is sufficient for these things? My last and final point is smells can be subjective. Whether something smells good or not often depends on who is doing the smelling, right? It's, it's often subjective, right? We can see in these verses that the same aroma can reach the nose of two different people and end up with two different results regarding their opinions of whether they think the aroma smells good or not. We, because of what Christ did, smell good to God. To God, we smell like Christ because of Christ's work. As a result, we smell good in God's nostrils. He is pleased with us only because we are in Christ, and the Father is pleased with Christ. It is not us on our own merit, so pun intended, never start smelling yourself. Right? It is about the sacrifice that is done on our behalf. If you look in Leviticus, which in all honesty... In some senses, if you're reading just on the surface, can be a pretty boring read, honestly. But um, if you look at the intent of what is pushed forward in Leviticus, it's a lot of law, which really just points to God's standard and holiness. It, it really just shows us how much the law has its place. It shows us how far away we are from God, how far away from his standard uh, we are. But in Leviticus, you'll often see a phrase um, and, and a lot of the instructions for giving sacrifices, and they'll end with, for a pleasing aroma. Or they'll end with, as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. 
This is because it's referencing sacrifices. The reason that the aroma is pleasing to God, again, is because sacrifice was made to atone for sin. It's the atoning that pleases God. This is why it pleased God to crush his son. God is not a masochist. He, it's not that he does not love his son. It's that he is merciful, but he cannot violate his mercy, right? He, he, uh, he cannot violate his justice and just give mercy. So it pleases him to meet his attribute and fulfill his attribute of being just and crushing his son and that fragrance being aromatic to him. Now he can extend mercy. Now his attributes are not violated on any end. In the triumphal procession analogy that Paul uses in verse 14, the incense that was filling the streets during the parade smelled wonderful to the Romans. To the captives, the incense smelled horrid. Similarly, the aroma of Christ smells great to those who are granted eternal life. But for others, that very same smell is nauseating. So as we are going out into the world and being an aroma, understand that no matter how, like I used to do a lot of music. So the idea was to put the message of the gospel in a form that people could understand, ideally hip-hop or whatever you want to fill in the blank with. But the reality is, no matter what you dress it up with, it's going to smell the same. The gospel is an offense to people, right? And until people come to terms with the idea that they are opposed to God and God is opposed to them because of their violations, then the gospel is going to be the gospel. It doesn't matter what you dress it up in. It's just going to sound good or look good. Two questions I have for you as I close. The first is, when is the last time you did a smell check on yourself? When is the last time, right? Now, you know, when we're writing documents for all you students and business people, right, you're, 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 you're doing Microsoft Word spell checks. It lets you know when you see that little red squiggly line or the green line, whether it's spelling or grammar, right? When is the last time you've done a check, right? The, the, the document will let you know. This document will let us know when we are smelling aromatic, and when we smell in funky, when is the last time you've done a smell check? We do that in other aspects of life, right? When you go on to speak, you know, if a dude want to go holler at little shorty, right? Before you go, you're going to give a little, you know, you're going to make sure you're straight. You might give a little underarm ministry smell. You want to make sure that you're right and the aroma is appropriate for what you're about to do. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial, there's that atonement again, and fragrant offering to God. The second and final question I have for you as I close is, for Christians, can you smell what the rock is cooking? <laughs> right? We all remember Dwayne Johnson with his little eyebrow. I can't do it, so forgive me. I can't do the little one eyebrow thing. But the question on the floor really is, can you smell what the rock is cooking? How much do we love the aroma of Christ? Do you appreciate what Chef Jesus the Christ has prepared for you? Can you smell what the rock is cooking in Christ's incarnation? Does it do anything for your nostrils? Can you smell what the rock is cooking with his virgin birth? Can you smell what the rock is cooking, what the rock is cooking with his life, with his growth and obedience? Can you smell what the rock is cooking with his death? When you hear about the death of Jesus, what does it do to you? Does it sound sweet to you? Does it smell good to you? Or is it just news to you? What do, can you smell what the rock is cooking with his burial, with his resurrection, with his ascension? Can you smell what the rock is cooking in his prophesied return? What about in your life? Can you smell what the rock is cooking in your mountaintops, 
in your valleys, in your good times, and in your bad times when he's often using pain to strengthen us and grow us? Can you smell? But the better question is, I mean, well, there's really already an answer to that question. Anyone can smell what God is doing. The question is, how does it smell to you? Are you accepting what Jesus is doing in the life of believers? What type of aroma is your response going to give off to believers and non-believers? I promise you to the day as I wrap up that the things that I've committed to that are godly, it seems like on the day that I say yes to God in something, the enemy ramps up his attacks. More problems. It's, I mean, it, to the point where it becomes ridiculous. Like, really this too? And I'm getting used to, okay, the phone rings, okay. <laughs> What's this one going to be? Something else. But the point is, if we are aligned with Christ, if we're giving off the appropriate aroma, then whatever God is doing in our lives, we should be able to smell what he's cooking and then be able to respond appropriately to it. My question for those in the room, and I don't want to assume that everybody in the room here today may even know Jesus. So when you hear people talking about Jesus, when you see people up front raising their hands, uh, um, um, putting oil on people, praying for people, having these uh, uh, enormous reactions about this man who you can't even see, it's because these people have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They have smelled the aroma of Christ, and whenever he is mentioned, whenever that, 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 that whiff of him goes through the room, it's why you get the reaction that you get. Right? So if you're looking and, and, and you're thinking, that's kind of odd, I don't, I don't understand, then we invite you to come and partake of Jesus so that you can understand. We invite you to learn of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We invite you to learn that what we've done as people is an offense to God, but he has provided a way of escape. And not to just pay for the penalty of our sins, but also to be saved to something. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. If there are any in here under the sound of my voice, any outside of this room that are under the sound of my voice who don't know you, Lord, would you be merciful? Would you reach deep into the souls of people? Would you reach deep into the hearts of people? Would you peel scales off of eyes? Would you open ears? Would you open nostrils so that your message when it goes forth can now finally seem pleasing to the listener? so that we can appropriately respond to what you're offering in good news in the gospel. We thank you for this time. Touch hearts again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.